Alleluia, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us pray. From the ends of the earth, I will cry unto thee, O Lord, when my heart is overwhelmed. Lead thou me to the rock that is higher than I. Amen. We have, as Christians, a what the Germans call Weltanschauung, which means a view of life, an attitude towards life, that is different from what the world has. Our attitude towards life, first of all, does not end in the grave. We believe in the resurrection of the body because Jesus rose from the dead. And we believe in the life everlasting because he has promised us this life Whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. And so we, as Christians, have this attitude and this view towards life that sees God, that sees God in everything. And I don't mean in some Hinduistic, New Age, pan-entheistic way, like this stained glass window might express. I mean that Everything is theological. Everything has to do with God. Everything. And that is a wonderful thing. A Christian knows that he could take the wings of the morning and go to the uttermost parts of the earth and still God would be with him. A Christian knows God in Jesus who is with him in the valley of the shadow of death, who is with him in all hard times and sorrows, in the face of death, and even facing our own sin. Now we know this God not through our getting better than other people, not through our fulfilling the law or the Ten Commandments, but through Jesus, the Son of God, fulfilling the law in our flesh, in our place. That's how we know God. And there are many who teach in the name of Jesus that we know God through bettering ourselves. But the words of Jesus thunder against this deception. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Whoever sins, he says, is a slave of sin. And you know that a slave does not abide in the house forever, but the Son remains forever. Therefore, if the Son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. And the apostles constantly teach us all over the place, therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law, not by works of righteousness that we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. To him who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. But we believe we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus. And this is the gospel. This is the good news of who God is. We do not come to know God by what we do, but by what he has done for us. We know him in Christ. We know the Father's love when we believe that the Father sent him to save us from sin and death. And this gospel, this good news, frees you from bondage to sin. It changes you. It makes you a new person. When we are bound by a sin, we're bound by sin. We can't pray to God. We can't approach him. We're too afraid to. 
We run away from him like Adam and Eve hid themselves. We doubt whether God hears, and, and one who doubts can't suppose that he receives anything from God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. So how can they call on him in whom they have not believed? There is the popular saying that there are no atheists in a foxhole. In the middle of war, people get scared and they cry out to God. And I don't mean to belittle any experience that a person has in war. But unless a person has heard the gospel and believed it, he is simply crying out to whatever God his mind fashions and imagines. Not so the Christian. God has revealed himself to us. He has shown himself to us in the same way that he just showed himself to little Gustav in baptism. He showed himself as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He gave him a name. He changed that little baby. The gospel removes all doubt from our hearts. It replaces the thoughts of men with the thoughts of God. The doubt and unbelief come from sin that dwells in us. Jesus takes your sin away. Just as he bore it on Calvary's cross, so now he removes it from you through the word of truth. He speaks with the authority of him who bore your sin's punishment and paid its wages with his own death. Whatever sin you feel has no right to torture you since Jesus has borne the torment it brings. Whatever guilt burdens you, Jesus is Christ's to take and cast into the depths of the sea. Whatever fear is in your conscience because of your mortality or your wasted days, Jesus attacks that fear with his gospel of peace and forgiveness that promises resurrection for the dead and eternal life. And it points you ahead. It gives you a different view of life, a different attitude. Whatever obstacle you see between you and God, between you and eternal life, Jesus has removed. And there stands now only Jesus between you and the maker of all things. And Jesus is the only judge who says to you, as I just said, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me shall not see judgment, but has passed from death into life. That means that when you believe in Jesus, you are alive. Alive from the dead. And so here is a mirror for you to look into. The gospel. It's a different mirror from the law. We all, you know, we often talk about the mirror as a law. By the law is the knowledge of sin. You learn the three uses of the law in catechism class. The curb, the mirror, and the guide. The mirror shows you what righteousness is, what love is according to the law. And you look at that mirror and it reflects back on you what the law says about you. Whether you have loved God or not. Whether you have loved your neighbor as yourself. But this law does not save us. This law does not reveal to us the righteousness that saves us. It reveals to us a righteousness and a glory that we have fallen short of. The law of liberty is not, that James speaks about in our epistle, the perfect law of liberty is not the law of Moses or the Ten Commandments. The law of Moses is called in 2 Corinthians 3 the ministry of death and of condemnation. Cursed is everyone who does not continue in to do all the things written in the book of the law. But Christ Jesus redeemed, rescued us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. As it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. 
And he was on the tree beneath the law that condemns you, but he bore the punishment, bore the curse, he fulfilled, perfected, completed the law of Moses, so that now he has a different law, a different word of freedom and liberty to speak to you, and he does. Now, James uses the word law, as the Hebrews would, as a word of God. So often in the Old Testament, the law is just simply the Old Testament. It just means the word of God. Or it means the first five books of Moses, which contain both law, that is, the Ten Commandments, and gospel. And so Paul does the same thing in Romans 3, where he talks about the law of faith, which is obviously not the Ten Commandments. And, and he also does this in Romans 8, when he says, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. And you see clearly that Paul doesn't mean the Ten Commandments or your attempts to do them has set you free from the law of sin and death. That's just not the case. The law of sin and death is Moses' law that was given on Mount Sinai with thunder and lightning and fear and threats of death that reveals sin and condemns sinners to death. As Moses says, you have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your countenance. Who knows the power of your wrath? We are consumed by your anger. That is the law of Moses. But the law of the spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death. And this law of the spirit of life, which the Holy Spirit speaks to us, is the perfect law of liberty which James had called the implanted word, which is able to save your souls, just a few verses before. And this is the law that perfects you with the freedom for which Christ has set you free. And this is the law that shows you the way to heaven. Therefore, you must look into this perfect law of liberty as into a mirror. Look at the gospel and see Christ, and you will see yourself. Look into your baptism and you will see Christ's death and resurrection for you and you will see yourself clothed in him as the scripture says, as many of us as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Look into this law that is not imperfect, that is not incomplete, but is fulfilled perfect because it perfects you with the righteousness of Christ. With his obedience, his life. And don't forget we forget. We are sinners. People say ignorance is bliss, but ignorance of this is not bliss. It is eternal separation from God. There is a horrible, horrible false doctrine that is taught in many churches in Laramie and throughout the United States that if once a person gets saved, then he must always be saved. That is, he cannot fall away. And this is directly contrary to Jesus' own words when he describes the seed falling in the rock and says, this is those who hear the word and receive it with joy, but after they, be they believe for a while, they fall away. People forget. They hear and they forget because they don't do the word. It goes in one ear, they assent to it, they say their confirmation vows, they go through the motions, and it doesn't change them. No new life comes from them which means that they never and don't truly believe in the word. They could have once believed it, but they forget. They go and look at themselves in the mirror and then walk away and forget that their face was dirty 
and they should have washed it. Do not be a hearer who forgets. Who forgets who you are and what you look like. What do you look like when you look in the mirror? Which mirror are you looking into? Jesus warns us of being hearers and not doers of the word when he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Here, Jesus gives a stark warning about those who are hearers but not doers of the word. Now, it doesn't mean note that they didn't do anything. No. They did a lot. They prophesied. They cast out demons. They did miracles. Right? They did a lot of what they thought was in Jesus' name. They said, Lord, Lord. But their works meant nothing because it did not come from faith in the gospel. They didn't look into the perfect law of liberty. They looked only to their own works. They used Jesus' name only to promote themselves. They enjoyed the prestige that sometimes comes with the gospel, at least superficially. They forgot what that good news was. And so they did not continue, persevere, to repent of their sins and use that perfect law of liberty for what it is. Forgiveness of sin and freedom from it. But the implanted word, the word that is planted in your heart, the perfect law of liberty, the good news of the forgiveness of sins, when it falls on good soil, that is, a broken and contrite heart, an honest heart, <coughs> is kept in a good and honest heart and bears fruit. Now, a good and honest heart is a heart that confesses sin. A good and honest heart is a heart that is made clean by the blood of Jesus. A good and honest heart is not a heart that forgets who you are and goes and makes friendship with the world as if the world could give you the right perspective on life or lead you anywhere but into the grave. And this is why James says, whoever peers into the perfect law of liberty, and the Greek word for this is, is parakipsas, parakipsas, and it means to stoop down, to bend over and peer into means to get down and humble yourself. It is a humbling thing to peer into a mirror and see all sorts of dirty and ugly spots. But it is a joyful thing to find the water and blood of Christ in the perfect law of liberty that washes you clean, that cleanses the repentant from all their sins so that he presents you to himself a glorious bride having neither spot nor wrinkle nor any such thing. An honest heart continues to confess sin. I've had this conversation with myself and with many people. I uh, just had it with Emmanuel the other day. We went on a hike. You really can't get away from repenting. That's another reason why this uh, doctrine of once saved, always saved is so awful. Because it tempts people to believe that, hey, I already got saved. I'm doing okay. I don't need to continue to recognize that I'm a sinner. Only sinners humble themselves and look down into the perfect law of liberty. And it's only those hearts which are honest and don't deceive themselves. Do not be hearers of the word and not doers deceiving yourselves. 
If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. We lie to ourselves. Being a doer of the word means applying it to your life. It is precisely when you humble yourself and stoop down below the glory of this world and all your own accomplishments that you find and see who you are in Christ. Bob Moses makes you question who you are, tells you that you are a sinner who deserve God's wrath and for him to push you away from him forever. You see, however, in the perfect law of liberty, a child of God. You hear the word. You hear the word and you believe it. And you act like you believe it. To be a doer of the word is for your faith to pray the word, to base your life upon it, to walk in it. We are children of the light. We walk in that light. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. That means you're walking with that word, telling you who you are, guiding you, teaching you. You don't forget who you are. You say, Our Father. With this, you are saying not only that you are a child of God, but that you aren't alone. You are a member of the Holy Christian Church. The beginning of the Lord's Prayer teaches you, reminds you, tenderly invites you to believe who you are. God's true children who can boldly and confidently ask Him for everything that they need. So when you pray, you are doing the Word. When you don't pray, you are forgetting who you are. You cannot be a Christian and not pray. It's impossible. You're forgetting who you are. Now, it's not to say that prayer is a means of grace. Prayer is a work that you do. It's faith exercising itself. But prayer, it has this particular peculiarity in that everything you do in prayer is on the basis of God's word. How can you call God Father? Because God made you his child in baptism. We are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of us as were baptized in the Christ have put on Christ. How can you pray for help against sin? Well, only through the word of God that tells you what sin is and how Jesus died for sin and helps you. How can you pray for help against a world that is opposed to your faith in Christ? Only by relying upon that word that says in the world you will have tribulation, but fear not, I have overcome the world. You see, prayer is faith exercising itself God's word. It is doing the work. To be a doer of the word is for your faith to pray the word. There is so much in those words, our Father. It is a statement of faith. When you doubt that you are God's child because you have sinned, confess those sins. Confess them. Cry out, Our Father, I remember what you said. You called me your child. Into the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. I may have walked away, but you didn't walk away from me. You can't lie as men do. With these words, God tenderly invites you to believe that he is your true Father. When you pray, you are remembering who you are. You are continuing to look at that perfect law of liberty. And you are remembering God's precious promises to you 
Listen to this from Hebrews. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. That's undeserved love. That we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And again, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive uh, uh, let us with a, draw near with a true heart to God. And again, he who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not also with him freely give us all things? And again, call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you will glorify me. And again, ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door shall be opened. For to him who asks it shall be given. And whoever seeks finds and to him who knocks the door shall be opened. God does not speak these words to you in vain. He speaks them to you. You. Because he made you alive from the dead. He doesn't leave you with no defense. He leaves you with the right to be called the children of God. So we are. The gospel teaches you that God gave his most precious treasure for you. The perfect law of liberty teaches you that you are not a slave to sin, but are freed from it by the blood and death of Christ on your behalf. The word implanted in Gustav today is the word implanted in your heart. And it teaches you who God is in Christ and who you are in Christ, a child of God. I will never forget, and I encourage you, if there is a sin bothering you, go to your pastor and confess it and receive forgiveness from God. That's what Jesus says. Whoever sins you forgive, they are forgiven. I was at seminary and the devil was particularly attacking me. And I went to a pastor to confess my sins. And the first thing he said to me after I had confessed my sins and asked for grace is he said, Mark, you are a child of God. And I burst into tears to hear that from him. And then he forgave me. He pointed me to who I was and he pointed me to that perfect law of liberty. And he did not let my own thoughts and my own sin define me, or the law of Moses define me. But he let my Jesus define me. Because when you look into your baptism, when you return to it and confess your sins, and you see reflected in that water, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, in whose image you are made. So you want to do the will of your Father in heaven, because you're going to him. Our whole life is just walking and going to the Father, just as Christ was. His will is that you believe in Christ and grow in the grace and knowledge of your Savior. But you will not grow if you forget who you are. If you forget that you were cleansed from your former sins. If you deceive yourself and say you have no sin. Or that you don't need this perfect law of liberty that Christ speaks to you. You will forget if you stop going to church. You will forget if you don't even talk about Jesus at home with those whom you love. You will forget when you only hear the word and don't do it. You will forget when you don't pray. You will forget when you don't humble yourself and peer down into that perfect law of liberty. Therefore, let anyone who looks in the mirror and sees sin not use this as an excuse to run away like the world does, to avoid church. But turn to this mirror of the image of Christ, to the crucified, to the one who died for sinners and loves them still. 
because this image of Christ is reflected in the water of your baptism, a beautiful pool. When you look at it, you see Christ because Christ is there. It is your sins being washed away and a new creature created in the image of God, which is Christ, who is the express image of God's person and took upon himself our flesh, overcame our sin and rose from the dead, pure and perfect and holy, and he shows us the way. Through trial and pain and suffering, he shows us the way. And it is a way of not forgetting who we are, but looking at who we are in him. And this new creature, who is born of God, prays to God. That little Gustav can't even... You say Gustav. Where is Gustav anyway? Oh, thank you. You say he can't pray? Babies pray more than we do. They're constantly whining for things for their, from their parents. They are totally unashamed to show themselves soiled, helpless, and needy. And to cry and whine until they get the food they need. And unless you enter the kingdom of heaven like a little child, you won't enter it. And so you pray to God, you whine, you cry, you say, Daddy, give me what I need. Remind me who I am. I expect good from you because you've never lied to me. I don't care how much bad I expect from the world or even from myself. I can't expect bad from God. Even the trials he sends to me are good for me. And so we apply his words to our life. You need his word. That's hallowed be thy name. How is God's name kept holy? Only by his word. Everything is made holy by the word of God and by prayer. You need faith. Is there anyone here who thinks, no, my faith's all right. I got enough faith. Don't you want more? That's his kingdom coming. You want Christ to rule in your life and your heart. You need his will to be done. Because you see it not done in your life and in the world around you. You don't need tons of riches. There are moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. You just need daily bread. And you need thankfulness for it and contentment with that. You don't need power over others. You don't need revenge. You need forgiveness as you need to forgive. You don't need success in the glory of the world. You need to be saved in times of trial and temptation. You don't need what the world exalts, what your flesh desires only to destroy yourself with. You need to be delivered from all evil and body and soul, possessions and reputation. And finally, when your last hour comes, you need to be taken from this veil of tears to that place which you have been looking forward to since the day you were baptized, to the Father who loves you, who loves to hear from you. You need what God promises to give you and what you can claim and bear when you do the word. He promises and he cannot lie. Therefore, brothers and sisters, what a beautiful day it is this Easter season. I love being a Lutheran and celebrating Easter week after week after week and reminding myself and all of you that just as Christ has risen from the dead, so we too are risen from sin and death. And we are only waiting a little while until we see what we now see by faith. 
If you have tasted that the Lord is gracious, if you have believed that God in Christ forgives you your sins truly, freely, if you have seen yourself by faith in the gospel the way God sees you in Christ, holy and without blemish, pure and radiant, then stoop down again today. Bow down at this altar and peer into the mysteries of God, into that perfect law of liberty, and wash your soul in Christ's blood and see again who you are. And cling to that word which tells you sin doesn't rule over you, but mercy does. And then let this mercy shine in your life. Ask for it. Ask for great and holy things. Ask for the word you need more than any riches. Ask for the faith you need that you feel is so weak and often faltering. Ask for God's will against your sinful flesh. Ask for forgiveness that moves your heart to forgive others. Ask for what you need in this life. Casting all your cares on him who cares for you. Ask for contentment and thanksgiving. Ask for love and joy and peace and patience and self-control. Ask for deliverance from temptation and patience and endurance and perseverance and suffering and trial. Ask for rescue from every evil and believe that what you have and believe that you have received it and you have. God cannot lie. Amen means yes, yes, it shall be so. Whatever you ask in Jesus' name, that is because of who he is, is yours. If God so did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not also with him freely give us all things? Let us hear this word, let us believe it, and act accordingly. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.